may be seated. Let's take God's word together and turn to that Old Testament book of Judges. And over the last several months, I've been looking at the life of this man that we know as Samson. And some have called Samson the superhero of the Bible. He's more than a superhero. He was God's appointed and ordained man. There are a couple of things that come to mind when somebody hears the name Samson. Usually the first thing that comes to mind is that he was a man with great strength. That's what he's known for, supernatural strength. But the other thing that comes to mind when thinking of the life of Samson, many people immediately, their mind goes to Samson's problem with women. And uh, that is recorded in God's Word, and we'll look at that in due course. But I want you to remember Samson in a different way. Samson is found amongst the list of names in Hebrews chapter 11, I remind you. And I believe that this is how God would have us to remember this man. Hebrews chapter 11 is the great, we call it the great hall of faith, the great chapter of faith. And coming to the end of the list of these names of people that are remembered for their faith in God. The author of Hebrews states for us in verse number 32, And what shall I more say, for the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. We'll stop our reading there at this time. But I want you to consider for a moment that Samson's name is found in the very same breath as Gideon, Barak, Jephthah, David, when we think of some of the most precious people found in Scripture, oftentimes David comes to mind. David is spoken of more than any other character in the Scripture, besides, of course, our Lord and our Savior. That's an interesting thought. David is spoken of something like 1,100 references to King David. But in the same verse that we speak of David's faith, we hear of Samson's faith. Samuel, the great faithful prophet, the same verse Samson is listed. So although you may be tempted to think very ill and negative of Samson, remember him the way God wants you to remember him. A man of faith. Now God records for us the sins and the faults of Samson for our own learning and admonition. We'll come to those in a moment. But we must remember Samson as we're instructed to. I want to begin today this series of the life of Samson by considering the context of his birth. It's not very unlike today, actually. Look with me, please, back at our text in Judges chapter 13. The first verse of the 13th chapter says, And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord. Now, this is the, these are the opening words of the chapter that tells us about the arrival of this man, by the way, who was a God-ordained deliverer. You could say a type of a Savior. 
for the nation of Israel. In the opening words, the context into which this man is born is the rebellious, disobedient lives of the people of God. Now look here for a moment. Not the rebellious, disobedient lives of the world, but God's people. The church in the wilderness. And into this comes Samson. Interesting, if you look at the words, and the children of Israel, that's collectively, nationally, ecclesiastically. All together, God put Israel all in one category. In the scriptures, it's referred to at one point as the church in the, in the wilderness. So the church today is very similar to the church then, the Old Testament people of God, in that we find ourselves in the same pattern that Israel found themselves, a pattern of constant circular motion. Evil, judgment, repentance, restoration, evil, judgment, repentance, restoration. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's, I look at myself, I look at my life in hindsight in the rearview mirror, and that's the same pattern I see in my life. It's interesting. That's the nature of man. All of them were being affected by the sin of the church, the sin of the nation. And can I just say to you today that we are all being affected, not so much by the sin of a nation, of course, but by the sin of the church. In fact, that's the real place we ought to be looking. We waste so much time looking at the government and looking at the lost world around us when we should rather be looking at the house of God. Do you remember what the New Testament writer once said? Judgment must begin where? The house of God. Judgment must begin with the people of God. I wonder, would you look here for a moment? When's the last time you took a good long look in the mirror? I'm not talking about whether or not your hair was in place and your makeup just right, but I'm talking about the mirror of God's Word. When was the last time you let God, by His Spirit, reveal to you some of the things that need to be dealt with? There's an interesting word in verse, 13, uh, verse number 1 of chapter 13. And the children of Israel did evil, what's the next word? Again. Meaning this was a pattern, it wasn't a new problem. Go back to chapter 1, and we'll see where all this begins. Now, this is important, because as we look at the life of this last of the judges, by the way, Samson in many ways is a type of Christ, and we won't exaggerate that. It can be done. You can take it too far. But there are many pictures and likenesses of Jesus in the life of Samson. Samson was the last of the judges. Jesus is the last judge, the greatest judge. King of kings and Lord of lords and the judge of all the earth that shall do right. He's the last judge that every human being will ever look, look upon. We shall see him. And Samson, as we, re we read in the 13th chapter of Judges, we find in the scriptures, is the last of the judges. And if you look at this book of Judges, very interestingly, you have this cycle. I mentioned it a moment ago. God's people drifting off into disobedience. By the way, it always begins with compromise. 
Compromise leads to further disobedience, which leads to evil in the sight of God, which leads to God's judgment upon His people, which causes them to repent, be delivered, and then the cycle begins. But most commentators would say this, that the cycle is a downward spiral, a downward cycle, meaning each time the nation of Israel goes around that cycle, they go lower and lower, worse and worse. Until you come to the end of the book and it says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Isn't that not where we find ourselves today in 2022? Instead of following God's manual for our lives and for the church, we're just doing whatever we think is right in our own eyes. In fact, we even talk like that. Well, you do what you think and I'll do what I think. And, and hey, it's all re- truth is all relative and and uh, right and wrong, it's all relative and all relative to your circumstances. And, and we, have, we have compromised what is true. In fact, we live in a generation where there is no more objective truth. If it, it might be true for you, but it's not for me. That's the way people talk. It's insanity. A few years ago, we knew what was black and white, and we knew what was male and female. And now today, truth is no longer truth. I can be a purple giraffe today if I want to, and you can't say anything about it. Because I feel that I'm a purple giraffe, and I know it, and I believe it. And nobody can say anything about it. That's where society has descended to, and the people of God have gone right along with it. That's what happened in Judges. In the first chapter of Judges, you find the people of Israel in the promised land, finally. And God blesses them. The Bible says in verse 2, the Lord said to Judah, uh, Judah shall go up. Behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. But we find that when Judah goes into the land, Judah begins to fight and get victory after victory because God promised it. We find a problem in verse 19 that is the first, it is the pattern, it is the beginning of the pattern that the rest of Israel follows. The Bible says in verse 19, the Lord was with Judah and he drave out the inhabitants of the mountains, but... That little word is an interesting word, isn't it? But could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. Now allow me to have a little bit of spiritual imagination here and application. It's easy to fight on the mountaintop, to drive out the inhabitants of the mountain where the sun is shining, it's warmer, it's brighter, it's easier. But let's be honest, the hardest enemies to drive out of your life are the enemies that are found in the valley where it's dark and cold and alone. That's exactly where Judah, the very first that we find in this chapter, Judah failed to drive out some enemies. And look at verse 21. And the children of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites. Verse 27, neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean. Verse 28, it came to pass when Israel was strong that they put the Canaanites to tribute and did not utterly drive them out. Neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt in Gezer. Verse 30, neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of Kitron. 31, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Achnor. Verse 32, but the Azurites dwelt among the Canaanites, the inhabitants of the land, for they did not drive them out. 33, neither did Naphtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. 
And what you have is an ongoing pattern. One tribe, one man, one son of God failed to drive out the wicked inhabitants of the land and they were content to live together. And when that happened, everybody else looked at that brother. Well, if he didn't drive them out, then maybe I can leave some. He didn't do business with that sin. He did not account himself, hold himself accountable for God on that part. Why should I? And a pattern was set. And here we are in 2022, and a pattern of compromise has been set a long time ago. In fact, compromise is more normal than conviction today. Amongst believers, amongst churches. In fact, we don't even like talking about this. We'd rather come to a service where we're told about how much we're loved and how fluffy and warm. And, and we love to have that kind of a service rather than being told, hold on a moment, we are headed for destruction. But the truth is, every one of us need to stop and ask ourselves, are there some invaders and intruders that we have left in our hearts and minds that need to be driven out? Is there some sin that we have been content to live with? That we have not done business with God about? And can I tell you something? You'll never have victory. You and I will never have victory. The church of Jesus Christ will never have victory as long as we allow the enemy to live in our hearts. This is the pattern that was set. It was a pattern that began with compromise. Compromise always leads to failure. And by the way, failure always leads, therefore, compromise leads to failure, to evil, and that leads to the judgment of God, the chastisement of God. That's what you find in Judges 13, verse number 1. The children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines 40 years. Forty years was a typical measure of judgment in the scriptures. It rained for how many days and nights? Forty. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness for how many years? Forty. Forty stripes were, was considered the death penalty. Jonah preached, yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Forty was a number of uh, judgment, the judgment of God. And so for 40 years, God allowed the children of Israel to be under captivity. And you might look around and you might think that you're under captivity, that Christians are under captivity in this land by far from what other Christians are in other parts of the world. But we may be entering into such a stage. And it's nobody's fault but our own. It's nobody's fault but the church of Christ. They did evil. The scriptures go on. It's interesting. You find this pattern. Chapter 2 of Judges. An angel of the Lord came up from Gil Gilgal to Bochum and said, I made you to go up out of Egypt. I brought you unto the land which I swear unto your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall make no league with the inhabitants of this land. You shall throw down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. Why have ye done this? Would you look here for a moment? God expects his people to live a holy life. Be ye holy, for I am holy, God says. God brought us out of Egypt. Our souls have been delivered, rescued from captivity and bondage. We've been born again. We've been brought to the land of promise, the promise of God's blessing with Jesus Christ and all the riches that are found in him. Jesus is our promised land. We've entered in. 
We've been told clearly in the scriptures that we should make no league with the inhabitants of this world. The Bible says in the New Testament, friendship with the world is enmity with God. So why are we trying so hard to be accepted in the eyes of this world? Why are we trying so hard? Most, let's be honest, most of us today would rather the world like us and pat us on the back than we would make some sort of stand for Jesus and have them scoff at us. University students are often afraid to even mention the name of Jesus because they know that in a university setting it is unacceptable. But if you don't learn to stand for Christ at university, you won't stand for him in your place of employment when you get out. And if you can't make a stand for Christ today in your place of employment or in your neighborhood, in your day-to-day living, you'll never make a stand for him. Anybody can talk about Jesus when you're in a church. When you're around 200 other people who love Jesus, it's easy to talk about him. But I'm afraid that so many of us so many times have made a league We've made a friendship with the world. And as soon as we see someone who's trying to live a separated and holy life, I'm not talking about living like, like we're monks in some cave all alone or some hermits. I'm not talking about that. We're living in the world. I understand that. We're to be lights in this world. We're not to be hiding away somewhere. But we cannot ever affect this world if we're like the world. You'll never make a difference. How in the world can you bring light to darkness if you're walking in darkness yourself? If you're walking in compromise yourself. And this was the pattern. I wonder, have you made a league with the inhabitants of this land? Have you joined hands with this world? Have you listened more to the voice of society than you have the voice of the Savior? Have you listened more to the voice of the government than you have the voice of God? Have you made a league with this world? They have, and it grieved the Spirit of God. And the consequence was that the angel of the Lord said to the people in chapter 2, Wherefore I also said, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare unto you. And would you look here for a moment? The gods of this world have become snares to the children of God. What do you mean? We don't worship other gods. The God of the internet, the God of television, the God of your smartphone has become a snare to you. The God of materialism has become a snare to the people of God. Get more, more money, more things, more cars, more houses, bigger, better clothes. It's become a snare unto us. The God, the gods of this world, which are no gods, have become snares unto us. And this was the pattern. On and on. Chapter 2, verse number 11. The children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. And served Balaam. That's a false god. And they forsook the Lord God of their fathers. Which brought them out of the land of Egypt. And followed other gods. I don't think there's anything more hurtful. To the heart and mind of God. Than for God to deliver someone. Out of the bondage of sin. And degradation. To set them free. And then for them to turn their back on that God. For some lesser God which is not a God. Because we want people to like us. Because we want to fit in. And we want to be accepted. 
is found this pattern over and over again. Chapter 3 and verse number 7. And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Balaam and the groves. Chapter 4 verse 1. And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord when Ehud was dead and the Lord sold them into the hand of Jabin king of Canaan. Chapter 6 Verse 1, and the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. Chapter 10, verse 6, we find again the same pattern. And the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam and Ashtaroth, and the gods of Syria, and the gods of Zidon, and the gods of Moab, and the gods of the children of Ammon, and the gods of the Philistines, and forsook the Lord and served him not. Do you see how it's going further and further down? The list of the gods they served in chapter 10, verse number 6, is mind-boggling. How could a people who knew that God delivered them from Egyptian bondage split the Red Sea so they walked on dry land, how could these people ever worship another God? Look here. How could you and I ever, ever worship another God? Well, I'm not worshiping Baal or Ashtaroth. I understand that. But there are many other things we may be worshiping today that have stolen our affection, stolen our service to the king, stolen our best. Now we find in this story of Samson and in the story of the judges, we find this pattern, but in the middle of this pattern, I believe this book is really a story. This book is an account of God's grace. That's what I love about this. Even in the life of Samson, is a story of God's grace. In fact, you find it over and over again. God's people compromising, God's people failing, God's people falling into judgment and condemnation. They repenting and God in his mercy restoring them. Would you look here for a moment? That is our God. Yes, he's just and yes, he's holy. Yes, he cannot look upon sin. He hates sin and he will do business with sin. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Yes, but he's also gracious. He's patient, long-suffering, not willing that any should perish. Who is a pardoning God like thee? Or who has grace so rich and free? He's an amazing God. And he offers grace again and again. In fact, in that second chapter of Judges, after this first account of their, of their fall again, the Bible says in verse 16, Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, which delivered them out of the hand of those that spoiled them. I love that. Nevertheless, in spite of their sin, in spite of the compromise and rebellion, God raised up judges. And I'm praying that God would raise another one up today, aren't you? He's given us Jesus Christ, King of kings, Lord of lords, the greatest judge that ever walked the earth and that the man, the mankind shall ever know. But I'm praying he'll raise up other men who will step up to the mark against compromise and be used mightily of God. Now, let's talk for a moment about this man, Samson. This is the setting that Samson was born into. This is the environment. This is the last straw. The last judge. The last chance, you could say. After this, God gives them what they want, and they're given a king. But we know that after the final Judgment, Jesus Christ, shall be known and recognized by all as King of kings and Lord of lords. 
But in this period of this last era, before that takes place, the last chapter of the Judges, as it were, I don't mean biblical chapter, but historical chapter. I want you to notice the miracle of Samson's birth. The scriptures tell us in verse 2 that there was a certain man of Zorah, of the family of the Danites, whose name was Manoah, and his wife was barren and bare not. And the angel of the Lord appeared unto the woman and said unto her, Behold now, thou art barren and bearest not, but thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now this is the miracle of Samson's birth. By the way, another very interesting parallel. Christ also was born from a virgin. This woman, we're not told she was a virgin, but she was barren. It was a miraculous birth. It's interesting, in all this account, we're not given Samson's mother's name, but we're given his father's name. But it was his mother, really, that had more sense and more spirituality than even the father. The number of women that have been used of God throughout the history of humanity and Christianity. The number of women that God has used to train up people like John Wesley. There would be no John Wesley without Susanna Wesley. The number of women that God used... In fact, even in this account of the judges, God raises up Deborah, which was an unusual thing. It wasn't normal that a woman would judge or lead. But because the condition of, of the men was so low and so bad, God raised up a woman. That was a judgment in and of itself. That was a judgment in and of itself. That there were no godly men in the nation. That the men of the children of Israel, the men of the children of God were so weak and so compromised that God had to choose a woman. Sometimes people say, how come there are more women that go to church today than men? That's an indictment on the condition of Christianity in our country. We're blessed to have strong men here. We have some strong women as well, make no mistake about it. But we're blessed to have a number of strong men in our congregation to which we give thanks to God. But you know, it's been historically proven that women oftentimes have been more faithful than men. God has used women, godly women, to shape and mold young men that will one day stand and serve God in a miraculous way. That's what we have here. It's a display of God's grace. His birth was supernatural. Again, this was going to prove to the nation of Israel that this deliverer called Samson was entirely from God. He was not a superhero. He was not... Uh, some man who worked out in the gym. This was a, an expression of God's grace and mercy to the children of Israel. From his birth, God's hand was upon him. Now, let me show you something interesting. And this is a message to every father and mother here today. Let me ask you today, how many of you have children? Would you raise your hand if you have children today? And I want you to listen, sit up straight, and listen very carefully for the next couple of minutes. This is for everybody, but especially we find a little emphasis and application here to parents. Because the scriptures tell us that when the angel came to this woman, first of all, the angel of the Lord, verse 3, appeared unto the woman, said, Behold, now thou art barren, thou bearest not. Now you might hear that and think, that's a little bit harsh. The woman knows she can't have children. Why would the angel come and say, now look, you've never been able to have children. You can't have children now, but you're going to have one. You're going to have one. Now, therefore, beware. Watch what he says to the mother. Beware, I pray thee, 
and drink not wine nor strong drink and eat not any unclean thing. For lo, thou shalt conceive and bear a son and no razor shall come on his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite unto God from the womb and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. I'm going to stop there for a second. The angel said to this woman, the child that you're going to give birth to is going to be a deliverer, a savior for the people of God. He will be separated unto God now. So therefore, you must be separated. Therefore, mothers, you must be separated. You want your children to serve God? Do you think your children will ever serve God if you don't? Can you expect one thing for your children and you live by a different set? And by the way, this isn't just for, for biological parents. Maybe you don't have children today. Maybe God has not seen that it's appropriate to give you children. That's okay, but he's given you some of you spiritual children. Some of you have more spiritual children than, than I have biological children. And you have a responsibility in the same way. You cannot sit down and disciple one of your spiritual children, teach them one thing, and you live by a separate set of rules. If we expect our children to be holy, we also must be holy. If we expect our children to be set apart, we too must be set apart. Now watch what she says. The woman came and told her husband, saying, A man of God came unto me, verse 6, and his countenance was like the countenance of an angel of God, very terrible. But I asked him not whence he was, neither told me his name. But he said unto me, Behold, thou shalt conceive and bear a son. Now drink no wine, nor strong drink, neither eat any unclean thing, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb today to the day of his death. Watch verse 8. Then Manoah entreated the Lord. He prayed. At the news of every child, at the conception of every child, this should be the first response that a father and mother reacts to. If you lead a, a, a person to faith in Jesus Christ, this should be your first response. If God sees fit to use you to win someone to the Savior, you should, like Manoah, respond this way. Then Manoah entreated the Lord and said, Oh, my Lord, let the man of God which thou didst send come again unto us and teach us what we shall do unto the child that shall be born. This ought to be the prayer of every father and mother today. Teach us what we should do. This should be the prayer of every spiritual father and every spiritual mother today. Teach us what we should do. You've given me a child. You've given me someone, maybe it's a spiritual child who by faith is called on the name of the Savior, but you are the instrument that God used to lead that person to the Savior. You ought to get on your knees like Manoah and said, Oh, my Lord, send someone. Come again. Teach us what we shall do under this child. I'm afraid that far too many of us lead, leave the raising of our children to chance. I'm afraid that far too many of us leave, leave the instruction and the guidance of our children simply to whatever happens, happens. We ought to be very intentional about the way we raise our children. We ought to be very intentional about the way we disciple someone who's come to faith in Christ. The amazing thing is, watch this, he prayed that prayer, and the next verse says, and God 
hearkened. He heard him. God listened. And the grace of God is on such a display in this life. I'm going to close here, but I want you to look at the last few verses of the scripture that we read a moment ago. It's interesting. The angel appears again to the woman, to Samson's mother. She runs from Manoah, her husband. They come back together. And the Bible says in verse 15 that Manoah said to the angel of the Lord, I pray thee, let us detain thee. Here's what he said. I want to keep you right here. Father, mother, discipling Christian, you want to lay hold on God and say, I want you to stay right here, God, because I cannot do this without you. You want to wrestle with God, lay hold on him, because if you don't, you'll be like the rest of Israel very soon, which falls into that state of compromise, tempted to take the ways and the instructions of this world in regards to your children. The angel stays, an offering is given. Manoah is trying to find out what is thy name. When will these things happen? The angel responds. An offering is made. The Bible says, verse 19, Manoah took a kid with a meat offering and offered it upon the rock unto the Lord. And the angel did wondrously. And Manoah and his wife looked on. I do not know what that means, but I'm sure it was special. For when it came to pass that when the flame went up toward heaven from off the altar, that the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame of the altar, and Manoah and his wife looked on it and fell on their faces to the ground. And the angel of the Lord did no more appear to Manoah and to his wife. Then Manoah knew that he was an angel of the Lord. And watch what Manoah says. Manoah says to his wife, we shall surely die because we have seen God. Many believe this to be pre-incarnate visitation of our Lord but his wife a woman of wisdom spiritual woman says unto her husband if the Lord were pleased to kill us he would not have received a burnt offering and a meat offering at our hands neither would he have showed us all these things nor would as at this time have told us such things as the if God was going to kill us he would have never given us a son and told us that he was going to deliver Israel now, I want you to look this way for just a second. I'm going to close. Fathers, mothers, Christian, spiritual fathers and mothers, look this way. God would never have given you a child. He would never have let you lead someone to the Savior and place a newborn Christian under your care and responsibility if he did not plan and intend to finish what he begun. Maybe you feel like you failed and you're losing hope and losing faith. Hear the words of Samson's mother. God would not have brought you these tidings and given you this child if he did not intend to finish it. You and I ought to lay hold on the promises of God and God's word. Lay hold on them, believe them, quote them. Remind ourselves when the, when the doubts and accusations of the wicked one come into our minds and hearts, we ought to pull from our bosom the promises of God that promise us that he that hath begun a good work shall perform it, he shall complete it. The promises that say he shall never leave us nor forsake us. That tell us that there's a voice that shall be behind us. That when we walk in the proper ways, it will tell us this is the way. Walk ye in it. Amen. The promise that says thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. To show me where I am and where I need to go. Take the promises out and use them. Amen. Stop listening to the lies of Satan. Yeah. 
Yesterday at Carla and Andy's wedding, I was asked to speak from Psalm 42. And the psalmist speaks to himself. He's discouraged and downcast, but he stops and he says, Why art thou downcast, O my soul? Some of the best advice I've ever been given was when you start doubting and questioning, it would do you good to start talking to yourself. Reminding yourself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? Why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him. I will praise him again. I will be where I need to be again. And I'll praise him for the help of his countenance because his presence is salvation. Praise him. This story of Samson is a story of hope. It begins with hope. Samson's born into a very dark age. Look here, nobody needs me to tell you today that the Western world especially, but all of humanity, we have entered into a dark age. We have entered into a dark era, which the scriptures say shall only get darker and darker. But that does not mean that the church ought to be dark. On the contrary, the church ought to shine more brightly than ever before. May the Lord help us. May we be some of the ones who recognize that that's compromise. I'll not be involved in it. May we be some of the ones that shake off those feelings and thoughts of compromise, regardless of what other people think, and determined to walk in the ways of the Lord. May we cry out like Manoah, Lord, come and teach us what we may do. Show us. Some of you have plans in front of you, whether it regards your, your life, your family, your university career. And one of the best things you can do sometimes is to offer all of those plans on the altar of sacrifice and say unto God, I don't really know how I got here or why, but from this day forward, if you'll help me, by your grace, I'll live for you. Amen. Perhaps there is some particular area in your own heart and life of compromise today. May God show us. And may the judge of Jesus Christ enter into our hearts today and help us to be delivered. I believe the church can be used marvelously of God if, if, if we repent and return unto our Lord. That begins individually, collectively, then who knows what will happen nationally. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Father, we come this morning acknowledging that the condition of our nation and the condition of the bride of thy son, Jesus Christ, is in a bad state. And we cannot help but think that perhaps we're a part of that problem. And I pray that thy spirit this morning may speak so personally and intentionally to each one of us that we might see in our own hearts and minds the areas in our life where we have allowed compromise. And may we, by thy help, instead of forsaking thee, may we forsake the gods of this world and cling to thee. We pray that we may beseech thee and seek thy face like Samson's parents did and plead 
for wisdom, to know what to do. We ask of thee, Lord, guide our steps. We thank thee for grace. Give us faith to believe that these things have been revealed to us, not to punish us or to hurt us, but to restore us. That these things have been shown to us so that we might know more of thy grace and mercy and thus be useful and used in thy kingdom. Help us, we pray. Give us a spirit of repentance. Grant unto us repentance and grant unto us full restoration. We thank thee that this book we hold in our hands is filled with story after story of restoration. Grant it to us today. For we ask these things in Jesus Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.